This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello, and thanks for listening to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I am sitting here with a wonderful person about to have a terrifying (laughs) podcast experience uh, because we're here to talk about Stephen King. And my guest is Tanya Warshaw. Is that correct? Warshaw. Warshaw. Tanya, tell the uh, the listening humans a little bit about who you are. So um, I have a theater degree, which has got me absolutely nothing. <laughs> um, I now work as an office assistant for an abstracting company and uh, do basic office stuff. An abstracting like, company? Yeah. So like when you buy a house, um, you have to make sure that the people who are selling it to you legally own it. Okay. That's what we do. Okay. That's what an abstractor does. Like, they'll go through all the records from, like, 40 years ago and say, oh, this person sold it to this person who sold it to this person who sold it to this person. And do you find sometimes that there's just, like, a ghost owned it or there was no one there? Well, yeah. Like, sometimes people won't have filed the right paperwork or sometimes it'll go through foreclosure and then banks get involved and there's lots of paperwork. Is someone who who currently owns a home, (laughs) that, that, that is a sort of terrifying concept in general and also calling it abstract because nothing feels yeah, locked down or yeah. certain when you're buying a home no, but so it, adding but, the word abstract doesn't help no no not really but i mean it's it's good work it's it's steady and there's always people buying houses so that helps cool cool and there's time to listen to podcasts at your work oh Is not it? at work <laughs> okay no, not at work <laughs> all right just checking just checking uh so your obsession is uh stephen king so yes I have some kind of general questions and some weirder questions as we do on the podcast. Oh, really? So when and how did Stephen King come into your life? So the first time, I was aware of Stephen King because there were TV commercials for his books and whatever. And there was one in particular the first time I saw him, I remember he freaked me out because he had the huge Coke bottle glasses at the time. It was like 87 or whatever when he was he was also in his Coke phase. So <laughs> like there was this um, commercial for to get his books sent to you like on a monthly basis. It was some subscription club. Mm-hmm. And like he freaked me out. And I was like, I don't want to read. But I was reading like Christopher Pike and R.L. Stein and like the Goosebumps series and some of the young adult horror yeah and then i went to my friend's sixth grade birthday party she was turning i was like 11 or something and we went out to a hockey game so we got our blood and violence out of the way and we came (laughs) home and the next morning we were watching it on tv and i absolutely hated horror movies i can't like horror movies freak me out okay like i just can't were you watching it on purpose or did you just they happen to put see it, it in okay and i was just like there and I, <laughs> I you know i wasn't allowed to watch our movies or anything so this was a big deal that yeah. was like a scary it thing and um then her mom started telling me that the book was so much worse and i was like really <laughs> because for whatever reason on the written page it doesn't bother me okay but like when i see things jump out at me then i just Totally freak out. I think that's pretty normal because you have time to process with a book. You can put right. it down if you want, but the clown is just up in your business on right. television. There's right. nothing you can do about it. And so for like two weeks, I would not go in the bathroom by myself. And like I was just Stephen King. Oh, my God. You know, and then I then I actually picked up the book and I read it. And reading it, this every time I read one of his books, this it's this unexplicable emotional state happens to me where I, I'm literally like out of focus with the rest of the world. Like, and it doesn't matter if it's one of his, you know, coked out Tommy knockers. It doesn't matter if it's Carrie or one of his, like, Dreamweaver post-van accident things. Okay. I just, <laughs> all of them just make me feel this 
it's only when I read his books, too. Do you feel like he's just the most successful at sucking you into his world? So you feel so involved in his world that you're not connecting to the real world there, there's a lot of that like just the the way he puts the senses together and and formulates the world that is his world because all his books connect and you know there's yeah. the whole thing where everything like he wrote himself into the one of the oh spoiler alert he wrote himself <laughs> into one of the um gunslinger series okay books and it's just like oh my gosh it's, and it's totally inclusive and like yeah it's just I, and I never feel that way with any other author. At least I haven't yet. Interesting. I really relate to the the uh, seeing him yeah. before you've read his books. Because I remember like it was a time in life where I can't remember what was going on in school or that. But I was really being reinforced with the don't judge books by their cover. Mm-hmm. Don't judge people based on how they look. Mm-hmm. And I saw a picture of Stephen King. Yeah, like, yeah this like, fucker writes horror. Yeah, it's terrifying. Yeah, I was like, dude. Because I'd never seen him before. I'd heard about him, you yeah. know, whatever. My parents were like, oh, this is a scary movie. Or he writes scary books or whatever. But when I saw him, I was just like, whoa. That, that's not, whoa. Yes, he has that, that lovely horror <laughs> twinkle in his eye. Which is just a creative person's twinkle, Well, and I'm sure the coke helped. So you obviously, you know a lot uh, about him. Obviously, to be this interested in his books, you've learned about him. Yeah. Um, I Well, I didn't like research him or anything. But uh, when I was in high school, um, my freshman year of high school, uh, during between my freshman and sophomore year, um, I wrote him, actually. Like, I called New York and I tracked down his publisher and I, like, was trying to contact him personally. Like, I didn't mm-hmm. want a fan club and I didn't want, you know, his handler or whatever. Yeah. I didn't necessarily succeed, but... So you were trying to write a letter to him. Yeah, like... Okay. And so to to give myself more legitimacy than just some sort of, like, fangirl, <laughs> I totally made up this story about how I was trying to... um how I was trying to interview him for my high school newspaper because I wanted to get on the newspaper and they needed a sample <laughs> of writing, which was totally not the case. So the letter wasn't just like you were trying to send him a message. You were trying to create a relationship yeah, where you could talk like, to him more often? I was often? like, can I, can I interview you? Here's my phone number. You know, call me. Have your people call me, whatever. Did he get the letter? Um, somebody did. Like, because I, I went through his publisher, so I think I got a little closer than just a random mm-hmm. person. But I got actually, like, a really, like, I don't know, two, two and a half inch thick packet back okay. from his publisher with, like, all this interview background material on him and stuff. And I went and looked for it, and I don't know what happened to it. Because, like, <laughs> I'm like, Mom, do you, do you know what happened to my Stephen King stuff? And she's like, no, honey, I think we lost it when you went to college. Like, Crap. But... So if you were able to talk to him like today, what is it that you want to say to him? Were you just looking for the connection or do you have like a message? No, no, I'm not like, oh, my gosh, you have to, you know, do this thing or like what are your political or, you know, I'm not trying to like, but like just to meet him and be like. Do you want to have a beer or, you know, like hang out? But if, yeah, yeah. And if not, not, it's not a creepy thing. If you, if you. If he just showed up and was like, hey, I read your letter from these <laughs> from years like ago. From like 1991 or something. Uh, I, I would enjoy a beer. And you sat down and you had a beer with Stephen King. What would you want to talk oh, to him God. about? Oh, God. I, I, there's so many things that I'm sure he's been asked like a bazillion million times. Like right. I would just I would just hope that I wasn't too fangirlish and didn't like <laughs> make his security people come and like. But you you've worked with the the convention yeah. uh, in Twin Cities, the convergence. Yeah. So you've you've had a chance to interact professionally with well known people, right? Yes. But there's there's like I've always tried well, I don't I in my volunteer work I tried to steer away from the people that I would totally geek 
girl out about. So you only worked with people that you dis- didn't give a fuck about. <laughs> no, no, no. Like I did because like I, I like Brian King. I'd read his stuff and, you know, he's a horror writer yeah, too. So it was great right writer. up my alley. And oh, it was amazing to meet him. But yeah. I wasn't like something about Stephen King to me. Like, I don't know if I would immediately faint if I saw him like in within five feet of me or something. <laughs> but like it, it would just be one of those like I'm not really religious, but if you could meet a god, it would be like I mean, seriously, it's you, just but that. That's my point with convergence of like you've interacted with people who are are very famous, very well known. So you've had that experience of they're real people, but but it, your your love of Stephen King yeah, is too just, deep. That it's, it's too much. Just, like yeah. I would just no, I couldn't. Like it, I'm speechless just thinking about it because like <laughs> I just can't. I've because I've read so much and I, you know, like and you and. The other thing is, like, when you're so obsessed with a person, you create, like, this image of them in your brain. And it's almost like you don't want to, you don't want to sully the image that you have because that makes some of the magic of the obsession go away. Yeah. (laughs) If that makes sense. It does. It does. I'm always interested in this. Like, if you met a king squirrel. Like, I think you, <laughs> okay. you, you would. I would have a lot of questions. I wouldn't know <laughs> what the hell a king squirrel is, but I'd be really excited. But yeah, if there was, yeah, some squirrel deity who yeah, could give exactly. me all, solve all of the mysteries of squirrels. Yeah. Would I want those mysteries exactly, solved? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah, but I'm really fascinated with that, with the, the interaction, that, that line between feeling like you know someone intimately mm-hmm. through their work. You, somebody like Stephen King is very open about his life. Right. It's very easy to find out very personal things yes. about him. But then there's just that raw, in the moment, human interaction where mm-hmm. it doesn't matter how famous anyone is. They have a heart that can stop beating any second like exactly. anybody else. They're human beings. They, some of them drink beer. Uh, <laughs> not all of them. Uh, but you can sit down and have a beer with them and like how, how do you interact with this person as a human? Right. And get rid of the sort of artifice of this right. person is a god because none of us are gods, obviously. Right. And then, too, I'm the, I'm also the kind of overthinking person who would be like, oh, my God, does he think I'm only being nice to him because he's Stephen King? Or like, <laughs> you know, and I would I would like have these like layers of layers of like yeah. nervousness and social anxiety about well, it. Well, what do you like? What is a fun kind of conversation for just like you're just interacting with like a friend? What kind of things do you enjoy talking about? What do I talk? Well, I talk about Stephen King. <laughs> um, <laughs> that wouldn't help. <laughs> no, probably not. I'd like no, to tell I you mean, about like, yourself, sir. I, I'd probably, I'd probably talk about LARP, <laughs> which is that's one, awesome. One of my other obsessions, but I don't know if he would even know what that was. I think most people listening to the podcast would probably know, but that it's live action role playing. Yes. So it's like Dungeons and Dragons, but you put on costumes and you get up and you move around. Well, but there's like different kinds of LARP too. Right. But that's just the most basic yeah. role playing. It's, yeah, it's, it's role rules. playing on its feet, right? Yeah. It, it's, yeah, it's like improv acting with yeah. rules. Would you want to LARP with Stephen King? That would be fucking amazing. <laughs> oh. Okay, now I'm just making him a vampire character in my head. And that's wrong. <laughs> would he be a vampire if you were well, with I, him? I play or? vampire the most. Like, well, okay. no, I suppose if we did, he'd be a better guru. What is a guru? It's the werewolf. It's the name for okay. a werewolf. So you, so you would cast him as a why? Why is he a, a werewolf more than a vampire? Well, because well, he's older now, so he's got the salt and pepper hair. Okay, or like the the more gray hair. Yeah, and that just. And sometimes he has a scruffy beard thing in his in his pub in his author photos. So just on a practical level, when you're when you're <laughs> larping. A guru, did you say? Guru. A guru. Uh, 
<laughs> it doesn't sound very. Res- I feel like I'm being disrespectful to werewolves to call them gurus. It sounds <laughs> so cute. Like the little, okay, like I'm going to say werewolves because okay, otherwise yeah, I no, feel like fine. I'm being a dick. Like, <laughs> hey, you little guru. Do you turn into a guru well, once a month? <laughs> like, uh, so how how does one actually? If Stephen King was playing a guru, yeah, and then he needed to transform during the LARP right. into his wolf state, uh, what? Is that just like a mask? How do people well, um, make the depends. transformation? Like most of the time, there's just a signal. Like you put your arms up above your head <laughs> when you're really, really big in, yeah. in your big form. Um, otherwise, people have different pictures that they'll wear and they'll flip their pictures over. Okay. So like they'll have character. The picture is elegant. That's that's a nice, elegant way to do it. Yeah. To flip the picture. I, but I really love the mental picture you've created now that <laughs> of Stephen, Stephen King, King is playing around this around very like, like <laughs> serious character. And then like, the moon's out and his arm goes up. <laughs> I'm a guru. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, so it seems like just through through your appreciation of his art, you, you've got... To be maybe a little obsessed with the person because it's yeah, it's hard bit. to celebrate yeah. to separate yeah. Uh, yeah that level cool so I have some some more specific questions how much do you feel like you learned about the real world from reading Stephen King because I know for me that was Ooh. reading some of his books were the first time that I really truly encountered a lot of swearing a lot of sex yeah I would say a lot domestic violence was one of the first things I encountered because one of the first books I read was it yeah and there's the huge scene where um Bethany and and her then well I can't remember if he's her ex at that point but they get into this huge fight and they're like yeah I just recently reread it yeah yeah and I was surprised there was a huge amount of that like 20 pages of violent fighting (laughs) and i was just like you know i and coming from the home that i did it was pretty bland so a lot of the things that he brought in about death and like um just gore and just physicality yeah it 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 was a it was something i hadn't really experienced because i was more you know play with ponies and and barbies and (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't that dark yet (laughs) yeah there's not a lot of domestic abuse with ponies no not stories not usually no uh how about the swearing did you did you pick up words Um, from stephen king i had no i picked up new combinations maybe (laughs) but uh, monkey fucker right he says that a lot (laughs) i I I don't remember that one um but no it was it it also gave me a freedom with my swearing that i hadn't necessarily had before yeah um not that i swore a lot at the time because again i started reading him when i was 11 so yeah I, i remember somebody showed me i think i think it was carrie when i was like in grade school yeah and it was like a really like i've got contraband oh yeah and totally. I, they flipped to some like uh page or something horrifying and scary and gore oh, was yeah. happening but there was just like some casual conversation right above that in which people were like swearing about pizza mm-hmm. and that's what stuck with me is like oh <laughs> there's here's a book where people are talking like mom and dad <laughs> exactly. this is so human the, i don't really care about the gore or whatever but the swearing is awesome um This is kind of a jumping off from Stephen King uh, question. If you could be as productive at anything in life as Stephen King is at writing, what would it be? What would you want to be able to do with the sort of the speed and quality that he has is famous for? It would either be writing or performing. Like that's one thing in my life that I really miss. Like just because I, I used to write short stories and I used to write whatever and then I just ran out of time and then you don't get it back when you have kids and um 
So yeah, writing or performing. I mean, I haven't been on the stage since I worked at the Renaissance Festival like seven years ago. No, more than seven, like nine years ago. So you would want to be as prolific as Stephen King at at being a Renaissance Festival performer? Well, not necessarily Renaissance, <laughs> but whatever I could get yeah. my hands on. Yeah, like if I could do a show every night, that would be so cool. <laughs> like, yeah, You, you don't feel like you're performing for your children every night? No. No, they go to bed by seven. <laughs> <laughs> Show's over. Yep. Time for drinks. All time. <laughs> awesome. Uh, LARPing is a kind of performance, though, yeah, right? Yeah, it is. Well, uh, yeah, but it's not like it doesn't have the reputation that, say, actually being on a stage with, like, a, a, a theater behind you yeah. does. I mean, yeah. I, I did use it as an outlet for my performing for a while, but most of your games start at seven and go until two in the morning, and when you have kids, you can't do that. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so if you could get Stephen King to write any story that you wanted, what would you make him oh, write? I I actually want to see him write fanfic. <laughs> about his own characters or about other no, characters? No, 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 no. He needs to he needs to leave his own world for a while because he's just got he's building it up. He's he's got it so intertwined with stuff. He just needs to come back to somebody else's world for a while. So would you have him write like, like uh, Princess Trek. Leia and Indiana Jones? No, no, or? no. It'd be like it'd be like some two random characters from Star Trek, <laughs> like a red shirt and a Hura or something. And I would just make him you little, know, focus maybe on Tuvok that. and Uhura. No, not little. Tuvok. No. <laughs> he's he's too Vulcan. He wouldn't do that. But so. no, just some random nameless red shirt. And Uhura just goes and has a one night stand. And you know, Stephen King writes about them having picking her up in the bar and for like a thousand pages, right? Yeah, like exactly. The longest fanfic ever. Well, no, because it would be awesome. Because I mean, you could really get you could really get into the the detail and like talk about what kind of Romulan ale they had and what year it was. And <laughs> he does that with the detail. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> so that that's an excellent segue to uh, my my next question. <laughs> Have you ever just Felt the desire to edit one of his books. <laughs> Dreamcatcher. Okay, I don't, I don't know Dreamcatcher. You, okay. you described Dreamcatcher as his post-van accident. Yes, it was... <sighs> I don't know whether he pulled it out of his vault or not. There's a rumor that he had a vault of pre-written stories that after his accident he just went to and used. Okay. Basically without really touching them up or maybe okay. putting as much effort in. Which I understand because the van accident was a big thing. Yeah, and uh, for people who don't know, he was basically walking and struck by a van. Yeah, right? he was walking along the side of the road, and a minivan came up behind him and just, poof, and yeah. he broke like ribs and legs, and it was yes. it was very very serious. Yeah, like actual real life horror. Yeah, yeah. no, it was. It, he writes about it um, a little bit in on writing, and um, you can also see in there's a book called Duma Key. Okay. Uh, that he wrote where um, he talks about uh, one of the characters in the book goes through physical therapy. And you have to imagine that that is taken at least partly from personal experience yeah. about how hard it is to get back and in control of your own body and stuff after right. it's been so horribly mangled. Yeah. So um, Dream Catcher? Yeah, Dream Catcher. It's, it's not bad. They made a movie out of it. Um, but <laughs> it just automatically happens, right? At yeah, right nowadays. <laughs> um, but you know, like I, it just it didn't flow as well. There wasn't as many interesting, um, like it, there wasn't as many interesting character plots, and and it just like 
And then there were aliens. And, it's, and then it was sort of done. So his later career, I'm only really familiar with, like, I think I read It in Misery and maybe, like, one <laughs> other thing. Uh, but I know his his later career is mm-hmm. not as horror-centric, right? Especially no, like, not to kind of tropes of horror like he had been writing before. No, and, like, right now he's actually started to write uh, mystery novels or hard crime novels. And they still have a supernatural element. But mm-hmm. I just I just finished one called Joyland. Okay. Um, and it was about an amusement park where there was supposedly this ghost there. And I think he wrote it concurrently with Dr. Sleep, which is a sequel to The Shining. Oh, okay. And um, because there's a kid in it that has sort of a shining ability, um, but it's very, very low key. Like, that's not the main character. That's not the point. Mm-hmm. The point is about this guy figuring out who the murderer was. Right. And it was really, really neat to see him turn away and sort of have that supernatural element. But I was still, his writing still still put me in that emotional spot even without the horror so do you feel like he's grown as a is a author do you feel like he's do you feel like he's just simply evolved in that he has not necessarily that he has simply changed or has he become better i think both i mean like you always have to evolve as a as a person like i think you can't if you go through life without evolving then what's it's the point it's kind of horrible especially right. for an author with if you right. have nothing exactly. new to say. But I mean, like, I think every every performer or artist comes to a point where they have to change what they're doing because they've just, they're running out of that thing. Yeah. And I think this is a good move for him. Like, I think it, it allows him to express the the worlds that he likes without necessarily focusing on stuff that he's already done. Yeah, so that's that seems to come up a couple of times that you you feel like he's he's referencing a lot back to his previous work. He totally is. Do you feel like the do you feel like he's actually having these sort of like sci-fi Star Trek or Doctor Who problem where he's starting <laughs> to get into continuity issues with himself? Um, I wouldn't say continuity because he can just change it and be like, oh, it was a parallel universe, or oh, it was a <laughs> that's an exact Doctor Who Star Trek. Problem. Well, it was like a different. It was a different path of the beam. But for some reason, <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, he's done that. I mean, if I, you read. I, I, if you, that's why I'm laughing. <laughs> if you read Regulators and, oh, what's the other one that came out at the same time? He wrote one as Richard Bachman and one as okay. himself. And um, both of them happened in the same town. They're the same people, but different stuff happens. Okay. Like, within the same time period. So is, is that a purposeful artistic choice or is that a sort of like, I don't want to deal with this, so I'm going to do a hand wavy other universe I think thing? It's, I, think it's, I think it's a purposeful choice. Okay. And and the thing that I liked about Joyland was when he when he did it, it was just slight enough that you, you caught the reference, especially if you were familiar with him, mm-hmm. but it didn't overpower the story he was actually writing. Cool. Which was the murder mystery. Awesome. Yeah. So do you think over... His whole long career, you've read everything pretty much, right? Uh, there may have been one or two short stories I haven't caught okay. <laughs> yet, but yeah. So you've read his whole oeuvre. Do you think he has like one primary theme? One Ooh. theme? Or idea? Like what, what ties them all together? I think, well, I, I've sort of thought about this and I think it might be hope. Wow, nice. Because like, I mean, in... In other horror that you read, um, you can get to the point where the characters are just fucked. There's nothing that they can do. And his books never give me that feeling. Like even like when Carrie's hand pops up at the end. I mean, that's not a bad thing. That's like a continuation of her spirit of what she had that was good. Right. Even though it's supposed to creep you out and, you know, whatever. But... (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, like I, I, the the bike at the end of it. Yeah, that's totally, extremely I mean, hopeful. And I think it's. It, I mean, there's more or less depending on what you're reading, but there's always this this feeling like something else will happen that will be okay. Mm-hmm. Somebody else will find a way to persevere through this or after this. So, do you think that's part of the reason that you like to? Uh, kind of escape into his world. I mean, you were describing right at the top of the podcast kind of feeling out of sync yeah, well, with the rest of the world when you're kind of inside one of his stories. I'm, yeah, I mean, I like it because even if what I'm reading right now makes me feel totally discombobulated, what what will happen is I'll know that when I, when I finish the story, there'll be a path back to where I'm supposed to be. Okay, so like he's going to take you down into all of these sort of Horrors and ambiguities, right. some of them real and some of them aliens. Right. And guru. <laughs> and then, but at the end, you will, you're. But, the, but then you get to come back. Your you soul will become popping and, up like Carrie's hand. Yeah. And it'll, it'll be okay. That's awesome. That's really cool. <laughs> uh, so that, that kind of ties into the question I wanted to ask you next is uh, obviously he's, he's really associated with horror. Mm-hmm. And I think. It's, it pops up in films and books that people yeah. kind of describe the idea of seeing the world as different genres. Mm-hmm. So do you see the the world, our real world, in sort of horror terms now that you've spent so much time with Stephen King? Probably. I'm definitely more cynical and morbid than most people. <laughs> um, my, my husband calls it my catastrophization method. Like, <laughs> like, I can immediately go to the worst thing that will happen. Like, my daughter has a cough and I'm like, oh, my God, she's got tuberculosis or, you know, she's got SARS or whatever. Like, right. I can just immediately go to that bad place, even though it's not really ever going to be that. Yeah. But I get and yeah. Do you act on those things, though? Or do you does I, your mind just kind of automatically explore what could be the most horrible thing? It goes there. I try and rein it back. <laughs> um uh, but no, there's been a couple times where I probably have done unrealistic things because I've been freaked out about something that really wasn't going to happen or or wasn't the big boogeyman that I thought it was. Yeah. So uh, when when you're reading the kind of the more horrible passages, mm-hmm. do you how do you feel when you're you're reading them? You started out, you know, being scared of the clown on TV. Yeah. Found found it easier to deal with in the books. Uh, there is just like there is in some of his novels just a lot of just graphic horror oh yeah totally. Uh, and how do you feel about that you know that you've spent you know a big chunk of your life reading it i'm possibly desensitized to it on the page mm-hmm. like in my own imagination like i've i've made walls so like i can be imagining along with the passage that i'm reading but then i won't quite see exactly what's happening okay um but i i certainly would not be desensitized to it in real life like <laughs> like if i see blood That's in really real life enough. i still freak out and i'm like oh my god no yeah well, that i'm really really glad to hear that <laughs> since we're alone in my home <laughs> near the kitchen where there are knives you think we're alone <laughs> ah! <laughs> No clowns. Uh, did did you develop a clown oh, phobia yeah. from it? Um, no, I developed a phobia of the bathroom. <laughs> right, because the the because he blood. comes out of the sink and the shower and the toilet and the he right. has this other short story <laughs> where this finger, like this guy's watching Jeopardy in the hall, and this finger climbs out of his toilet and it's got like a million bazillion knuckles, okay. and it just keeps getting longer and longer and, and like opens the toilet lid and it comes out in the living room and uh-huh. he has a thing with toilets, I swear. Yeah, a lot the, the, from the depths and the heart. The, so a long finger from the toilet, like a lot of Stephen King, I, I really like. 
you know, uh-huh. like it, I think like there's a oh. lot of, you know, parables for real yeah. life and allegories. And I, you know, a lot of his later work is, <laughs> is like that. What, what the fuck is the allegory or, or the moment of hope <laughs> from the endless finger coming out of a well, toilet? The, the cops show up and they, they tape the finger down and then. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm serious. Know, they like they put duct just, tape around the toilet so the finger can't go up. And then does the and then they like move? flush it a bunch of times. Okay. No, and then he's just like, uh, and now you know when I'm home alone, I think about it, but it's okay because it's never come back. And it and it, and it's fine because the guy learned. You know, there's stuff that's more important than whatever he was worried about in the story. So it's really a story about problem solving. Yeah, it's it's a story about other stuff. But what I remember, of course, is the the finger okay. that comes and attacks. Do you, you remember what the other stuff was like? What, I think he was what, having marital problems. Like he lived in New York, are like and a finger in the he toilet. was worried about money and work and. You know, it's like the, all the normal day stuff, and then you put in the thing that you think about, which is the finger coming out of the toilet, yeah. and then suddenly those normal stressy things don't seem that bad. Yeah. There there are very few times where I wish the podcast was a visual medium, because <laughs> uh, speaking directly to listeners now, Tanya is making this wonderful <laughs> finger gesture, which is sort of like Little Bunny Foo-Foo, <laughs> if Little Bunny Foo-Foo only had one ear. The toilet finger is... Dancing along like little bunny foo-foo. It's very nice. Uh, okay, so here's here's some of my weirder questions. Um, or more more personal, I guess. If you were a supernatural character in a Stephen King novel, what kind of power or manifestation of your inner life would would you want to have or do you think you would have? Um, I don't know. I use my hands a lot, so it would probably be <laughs> something with my hands. I don't know what it would Maybe I would be the finger. I don't be know. Be the finger. So would it be an extension of your hands? Yeah, like my hands would shoot out and do things without me knowing maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily be the heroine in the story. I would be like the creepy person. Right, because yeah, he doesn't really write superheroes, superpower, right? He. Well, I mean like the kids in It had the, the they had their own sort of superpower in a weird Right, esoteric way. Yeah, yeah, a, a very hopeful way of like. Yeah, exactly. It is very. If if we believe, we can beat the scary clown Spider Man. Right. Uh, so you feel like you. So do you feel like you would be the sort of Carrie like protagonist who is tortured? Oh God, uh, no, <laughs> no. I would just be the bad person. <laughs> I would just be the person that everybody was freaked out about. I'd, I'd like live in the black house, and you know, yeah. nobody would go there, and You'd people would disappear, and your friends over to LARP and. The hands would get them? No, well, uh, if they were my friends, I suppose they'd be evil too. And then we would all just have an <laughs> evil party and maybe sacrifice some kids. I don't know. <laughs> so if you could get Stephen King to write this story, would you would you be happy with being like, in oh, the yeah. story is the, is the oh, totally. sort would, of the disturbing em- thing that gives yeah. the hope focus? I would embrace that because <laughs> that would mean that my real life wasn't really like that. <laughs> wow, that'd be, so Stephen King's novel, The, the Hands? Yeah, something like that. That would be awesome. <laughs> that would be great. Uh, so obviously we've talked about it a lot. Um, and for anybody who doesn't know it, the shtick of it is that it's a creature that takes the shape of what you're whatever, afraid of. Yeah, whatever you're uh, afraid of. And apparently the creature just assumes that we're all afraid of clowns because he spends mm. a bunch of time <laughs> is Pennywise the clown. Well, like Pennywise, the reason he was Pennywise was like, oh, I'm not going to scare them first. First, I'm going to like be all happy. And then if that works, then I don't have to work on scaring them. Right. See, I so, remember reading that. And even when I read that incredibly you like, young, it's no. like, bullshit. <laughs> bullshit. Well, you, it did work for a couple of the kids. So that's why I was like, oh, well, he was yeah. just trying the clown thing. And 
if they were scared of it, double bonus. I suppose that that does make sense because yeah, a couple of his novels are very very focused on what it is to be a child right. in the 50s and the clowns weren't quite as scary no. yet. No. I think that they're no, oh, because I think Pennywise they, made so many of us like freak out about I the think clown. culturally he is like the big breaking point, but I was terrified really? of clowns long before that. I think that there is something I I think that there's something unnatural about them. Oh, see, I used to watch Bozo all the time. I wanted to be on the show and throw the little ball in the bucket and yeah. just like hang out and dance on his shoes. I was happy to watch Bozo on the television. Bozo in real life, I would have. Oh, you would have been gone. I would have screamed and hit him in the nuts and oh, run no. away. <laughs> I would have screamed "Stranger Danger" and punched Bozo in the nuts. And I, I can't remember. I think my parents took me to an amusement park when I was pretty oh. young. And I can't remember, I think it was maybe like Flintstones characters or somebody in like a giant costume that was clearly supposed to be fun, but it was it's that uncanny valley thing of this isn't right. right. You are hiding something from me. I don't know what you are underneath that. Sure. And you're going to murder me and, and I want to murder <laughs> you first. <laughs> so that, those are some of my, my feelings about Clown. <laughs> but my question is, so obviously there's uh, Pennywise the Clown. What manifestation would you see if... Oh. Um, it was trying to get to you. That's a really good question. I might see myself. <laughs> that's deep. Because, yeah, but it would be like all the bad parts of myself. Like, to like you know how he saw Darth Vader in the cave? Luke right. saw Darth Vader in the cave? Right. It would be sort of like that, but it would be me. And it would be like but just the parts of me that I hate. And then the fact that I couldn't escape from Pennywise would just make it all the worse. Because I was killing myself and like, yeah. then I have this existential thing about you're killing yourself with your own stress and your own <laughs> flaws. So you would see super, super stressed out, Tanya? Yeah, super, super stressed out, super, super flawed me. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. What would you see if if Pennywise was trying or if it was trying to show you something nice to lure you in first? Oh, my family. I would totally go. Like, there would be no question if my family was there. I would just be like, hey. We're yeah. going to go to a float. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, sure, let's all float. We'll, that sounds we'll take nice. a trip. It'll be yeah. nice. Let's go. <laughs> nice. Nice. I, yeah, I, I think they thought for a lot of people have seen themselves. I think it depends like, depending on the, what kind of performer you are, if you're a performer, you get used to seeing or hearing yourself. Yeah. And there's just that I think all humans react to oh, seeing or hearing themselves. And, and some of us, if we perform a lot or have podcasts, you have to get used to <laughs> seeing or hearing yourself. But it's fun to imagine like what what sight of yourself as a physical object right. would be terrifying. And for, like for me, I just <laughs> just imagine staring off into space, <laughs> being really lazy and not procrastinating, and that would just terrify me. Uh, so, if a car you owned was uh, haunted, what kind of car would it be? Like oh. what make or model of car? Oh. Can I just have Christine? Like, is that just okay? Sure. She was a she was fifty six or fifty seven, and she was cherry red and old. She was and what, pretty. What kind of actual car? What do I? Ha- I have a Prius right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I love I love old cars. I love the fifties, you know, with the tail yeah. fins and the. I love those. I love what Christine was. Like, yeah. if I could own a Christine, I would. That, so yeah, that. But I think that's what a lot of uh, you know a lot of his stuff does relate to being a kid in the 50s in the iconography Mm -hmm. of the 50s so what what would be the iconography from your youth oh from my youth oh that would probably be 
either either the tiger from He-Man <laughs> or like um there was a there was a car that you could get for Care Bears. It was basically a cloud and then like the wheel was a rainbow that would just like it was like a rainbow and they had a little seat where you could put them in and you could just drive them around and the rainbow was the wheel and it would just go That's around. A great haunted car. That would be an awesome haunted car, wouldn't it? That would that would be absolutely terrifying. Yeah. I want that to be the Star Trek fanfic too. <laughs> <laughs> the haunted rainbow car. Oh, his stats would be horrible, though. <laughs> uh, cool. So uh, th- here's another question. Who would who do you think would win in an actual fight? They Now, these authors are fighting with each other physically. Stephen King, H.P. Lovecraft, or Charles Schultz? Who's Charles Schultz? Peanuts guy. Oh, okay. Uh, do they have weapons? Sure. Okay. Um, well, Charles Schultz is automatically out because he just... No. Um, Are you ooh. not a fan of the peanuts? Eh, it's okay. <laughs> it's a little, it's, it's, it's too schmaltzy for me. Mm-hmm. Like, but, but I think, yeah, I think H.P. Lovecraft and Stephen King would gang up on Charles Schultz first to take him <laughs> out. And then they would like sit down and have coffee or tea. And then, and then they would just like, one of them would have um, Odd Job's top hat. H.P. <laughs> Lovecraft would have like an odd job top hat and he would just try and throw it at Stephen King. And okay. Then, and then Stephen King would take a scythe and just right in his, right through his chest. Yeah. So you, you, the little fanfic right there. Yeah. That's very yeah, nice. I'm good at that. Excellent. Uh, okay. So I've got some, some questions about, I sometimes ask about how obsessed people are. Like, okay. you seem pretty into Stephen <laughs> King. Like, it affects your life yeah. a lot. It's a big part of your life. It's not a passing interest. So would you uh, purchase, and wear Stephen King underwear. With his face or could I have like one of his characters on it? <laughs> Either one. Would you, well, this has come up before. Would you wear, if Stephen King's face was on underwear, Well, yeah, would you I'd wear it? I just wanted, I was trying to figure out which one I'd like best. <laughs> okay. Because like a Pennywise instead of underwear, that would be really cool. Yeah. You Pennywise on your underwear? Oh, I got to go make an Etsy shop or something. <laughs> But you would you would wear Stephen oh, totally. King's okay yeah because I I think uh, I think I was talking to in an episode about Peter Pan and somebody thought it was disrespectful yeah yeah I remember that no to have no the it's, it's a sign of like it's 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 a way to keep him close to you <laughs> <laughs> God that's that's so horrible no. I'm gonna be put on a restraining order or something no no <laughs> uh, okay if Michael Bay made a movie based on a Stephen King novel would you go see it oh do I have to? Which one? Well, your choice. Oh. Because some of, some of his movies have been done really well, and some of them have been done really what are What are the good ones for you, and what are the bad ones? Of Michael Bay's or no. Stephen King's? <laughs> no, Stephen King's adaptations. Stephen, uh, Shawshank Redemption and Stand By Me. Mm-hmm. Two of the top, top ones. Like, yeah. people wouldn't even believe me when I told them that Shawshank was Stephen King. They're like, no. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, Totally. Um, but I think that's more of the fact that they were short stories first. Mm-hmm. Like, I think his short stories transposed to film a lot better. You also have to remember, I don't like horror movies. Yeah. So I haven't seen a lot of Oh, I, yeah. So have you You haven't, I haven't seen ever a lot. crossed that, that bridge from youth no. where you're like, you're okay with it on film now? Well, no. Well, I mean, I try to be, but not really. I'd rather watch a B-horror movie that I can make fun of than an actual <laughs> scary Stephen King movie. Like yeah. I've never seen Pet Cemetery. I've never seen Salem's Lot. Wow. I've never seen Christine. They made a movie of Christine, right? I think so. I think yeah. I've seen 
I've seen most, some parts of Carrie. I've seen, I watched it because it was in, well, I watched part of it that I saw at the birthday party. And then I saw most of it, but it was in French. And so I wasn't scared. <laughs> Why? Why? I was in France and it was on the TV and it was like dubbed in French. Right. And, so, but did it make it silly? Yeah. Okay. It was kind of like, it, well, it wasn't necessarily silly as absurd. Uh-huh. Like, because when they jumped out, you know, it was still, oh my God, he's jumping out at you. But like, <laughs> Sacre me. well, because I'm sitting there, I'm watching John Ritter, you know, and he doesn't sound like John Ritter. He sounds like a French dude. Yeah. And it was very not. So it's not about the visuals in the film. It's about it's the about the whole it's it's a whole experience sort mm-hmm. of thing, like with the soundtrack and the yeah. So, but if Michael Bay, I would watch it. I think I would watch it. Yeah. So if Michael I, Bay remade Stand by Me, oh <laughs> yeah, he'd blow up the bridge. So that would be kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, and, and Kiefer Sutherland's character would actually be shot and killed, right? Uh, no, you can't kill Ace. You can't kill Ace. Ace will never die. Excellent. Uh, would you discuss Stephen King novels with Hitler? Yes. Like I, I know most people like are like, oh, I don't know, what's Hitler doing? How Metaphysics. Did he get there? Blah, yeah. Blah blah blah. I've, I've thought about this because I've listened to your podcast. Right. Like, well, I've listened to all of your podcasts, and, <laughs> and and I've thought about this question a lot, and I'm like, no, just no, I would, and I would tell him, I would use Stephen King to tell Hitler why he was making bad choices. So which novels would you give to, to Hitler to try to stop to him from um, being such a bad man? Well, Apt Pupil might work. What is Apt Pupil? Apt Pupil is, it's from this, it's from, it's in this, it's a short story, it's in the same book as Stand By Me and Shawshank Redemption. Okay. Um, Apt Pupil, I think, is the name of the movie that they made of it. Okay. But basically, it's this kid finds a Nazi guy who would, like, run away from Germany and hid. And so he's, like, 80 years old now or whatever. And he starts – he's, like, really obsessed with Nazism. And this Nazi guy is like, dude, why are you so crazy? Stop being a Nazi. This is wrong. Did you learn nothing from my trials and tribute? And then the kid goes and gets a rifle and ends up shooting a bunch of people. But, I mean, like, it was a really interesting story as far as, like, you know, the, the person who had done all these horrible things trying to convince somebody not to do these horrible things. Okay. So, yeah. Nice. Uh, do you think do you think Hitler would get that sense of hope? Probably not, but I don't know <laughs> how well it would translate Hitler. to German. So <laughs> he might find it silly, just like the French. Well, it. there's not there's not a lot of words that that are seem very hopeful in German. I mean, I don't know German really well, but it they they don't seem like they have a lot of words for happy things. <laughs> well, maybe they could change that for Stephen King novels. <laughs> they would have to come up with more words for hope. <laughs> that's that's a hell of a twisty idea that we have come to. The course of this podcast, that Stephen King could cause the German people to come up with more words for hope. That's very nice. Uh, okay, so this is a thing I've been experimenting with a little bit on the, the podcast. Can you make, since it's an audio medium, can you make a noise that demonstrates your love of Stephen King? I could scream, but I don't think you want me to do that. Let's just, just for fun, put the microphone down on the table. <laughs> and go walk, like way over walk there. Walk like 10 feet over there okay. and then scream and we'll see how it turns out. Okay. Do you want any sort of stimulus? Oh, God, no. I don't know. <laughs> the scream followed by the giggle. That, that was pretty scary. That, that's totally what I get, though, because, you know, you, you're scared, but then it's okay. <laughs> so several fractured, broken screams followed by a giggle. Yeah. 
That's Stephen King. <laughs> Lovely. Do you have any uh, any final thoughts about Stephen King before we go into our final questions? Um, read everything he wrote. It, seriously, even the bad stuff, even the, I, you know, I'm coked out and I don't remember writing his stuff, <laughs> has something in it. Like, I, I just can't imagine that it was a waste. Like, even the stuff that isn't my favorite, um, it, it still talks to me as a person and as, as a, an experience about life in general. Cool. That's great. Uh, so I've got my final pompous question. Oh, yes. We always ask. Uh, Mr. So. Lipton. <laughs> Thank you. If you could travel back in time and hug any historical figure, who would you hug? Assuming he wasn't armed or contagious, <laughs> Shakespeare. Nice. So how would you check with him if he was armed? Well, you could probably see armed, right? Yeah, I would probably see most armed. Um, right. Oh, he, he should, probably should be like not drunk and lecherous. So either. you would like to hug a non-diseased, yeah, clean, sober Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah, like if if he was like if he like if you could get the real Shakespeare, but like dressed up like he was going to be on a PBS special, <laughs> I would hug that guy. Would you explain to him why you were dressing him up? No, I mean it would just be regular clothes for him. Okay, but it would be like you know. It would be Shakespearean right. time. It would just be, he would be clean. And... I'd love that. <laughs> I also would like to hug a clean Shakespeare. Well, I mean, because he did so much. and He and did. It would probably be like after one of his shows. So he was really pumped up. I'm like, yeah. yeah, we just, we performed for the queen. Yay. <laughs> but before he had time to go to the bar afterwards. So. Right. So hugs, high fives backstage. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm sure is tradition. Yeah, Before totally. they went to the pub. <laughs> and you just slip in yeah, with the other... Like, Quick Elizabethan hug. people and, <laughs> and pop out. You know. <laughs> That's great. Uh, if you could force the whole world to sing a song together, what would that one song be? Um. Oh man, I can't decide whether I want to be flippant or serious in my answer. You can do both. <laughs> um, See if we can tell the difference. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really, I really like. Um, I think, I think everybody should sing um, "Imagine" by John Lennon. Oh, um, but maybe not together. <laughs> <laughs> you would like a discordant. Well, I, I mean, it's going to be discordant anyway. Yeah, so, yeah. it's everybody. Um, but you would you want to imagine in a round then? Yeah, it'd be kind of cool. <laughs> like we could like figure out the zones? harmonics. And, <laughs> yeah, like you just start one place and be like a wave of people singing. You know, like nice. how it goes around the studio. Yeah. Excellent. Was that, the, was, that was both a sincere and flippant answer at once, right? No. <laughs> was that the sincere answer? Yes. Okay, what's the flippant answer? <laughs> this is the song that never ends. <laughs> that is very flippant. Yes. <laughs> Damning people to hell of a really annoying song. Eternity. Uh, yeah. And finally, the final question for everyone on the podcast, what is happiness? Finishing a book and starting it over. Thank you very much. That is our podcast. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. Thanks, Tanya. Thank you. <laughs>